about it, and thanks for the clock and everything else. All right. Most of us, not all of us, but most of us here today are Christians. And as Christians, we have this thing that we say about Jesus, and that is, is that he is Savior and Deliverer. And when we say that, we mean something in particular. What we mean is something like this. It's this grand idea that what happens is, in life, God gives you real free will. And so you're walking in your life, and as he gives you real free will, real choices, there are these things that he hangs before you, that he draws you to, that he wants you to choose, which is his way, his choice, his things for you, the life that he has that is spectacular, the one in Thailand, the one that's here, the, the one that is truly him in fullness. But then there's the other things in life right? And all of us, as scripture says, have at least in one point of our lives chosen not God. We have chosen instead some other way, our way, and we've walked along a different path. Now, when a person does that, they have by their choice separated themselves from God. And as they separate themselves, what God does is he comes in this flurry of activity that we talk about virtually every week, but we've seen so strongly in Revelation. The depths, the detail, the enormous lengths to which God goes in order to come to a person who is walking away from him and give them moments of choice again and again and again and again. Give them circumstances that help them to choose him, but he does not force that choice. And a person that will walk through the whole of their life having rejected every drawing of God, every time that he tries to bring you to himself, the person that rejects that throughout the course of their life will at some point in time tragically die physically. And after that, they will come before the throne. And when they're before the throne, all of those decisions, all of those choices, all those rejections, which they will be fully aware of, in a way that is more cognizant than now, even though now they are too. But they will see so clearly the amount that God did to try and reach them and draw them to him, and the amount that what was in them rejected that, the, one, the thing that is them rejected it. And at that moment in time, there will be an eternal separation that will take place. And Jesus likens it to this. He says, it's like the, the, the guy who's in a parched place, in a place of heat, in a place where there's no water, and he is totally parched and looks across a great gulf, and he sees on the other side those in Abraham's bosom, he says, and they are the ones who are in heaven where there is, and the thing that he likens it to is water. And this guy who is without life slash water, get the metaphor, this guy that is without life, who's felt it during their lifetime, and knows what it feels like, and now is without it, and longs for it every second. You know how you get so thirsty that you long for it at every second? And so this is what he likens it to, and he says, the guy says, could you just have somebody over there just dip their finger in some water, and just come over here, and just one drop on my tongue. This is the longing. This is the torment. This is the hell that people will live in, this separation from life, the life that they once knew and now they do not have. And it is for eternity, and it is horrible. It is terrible in ways that you know, we can liken it to dying of thirst in the desert, but that would be much less than the truth of it. And so when we call Jesus our Savior and our Deliverer, what we're saying is he saves us from that. <laughs> he comes and he does this. 
he comes and he hangs on a cross. And on that cross, what he's doing is he's taking every single consequence of every choice that we made to walk away from him. Every consequence, every separation. This is his moment of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the moment we're filled with our sin, which is our choices to go some other direction. And he takes all of that upon himself. And when we realize that we have done this, and when we receive his way back, which is Christ, then we die with Christ as Christ has died for us. And when he rises again, we raise up in a new life and we become new beings, new creatures. And so once again, in a very literal sense, we have been saved. We have been delivered from that which awaited those who will never come to him, who will know when they stand before him, I do not belong with you. And we are the ones who, having received Christ, say, I know what I did and I'm quite aware of it, but you made the way back and I received your way back and I am back with you, I am with you. So Jesus is our savior and our deliverer. And this is big, this is huge, and this is so true. And that's what we mean principally when we say he's our savior and our deliverer. We're gonna see today though that that's not all that being a savior and a deliverer means. We're gonna see today that it is God's very nature and character to be a savior and a deliverer. And we're gonna see the depths to which that goes all the way down into our own individual lives. He is not something up there and something different in the intimacy. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same in the big and the granular. He's the same character. He's the same nature. He's the same God in every aspect. And we're going to see this in an incredible way today. We're not just going to see it. We're going to experience it. Which, by the way, turns out to be the better way than hearing. Right? You need to hear, but then you need to come to know. So having said that, that's where we are headed. Jeff, can you pray for us, Jeff? Yeah. Sorry, I didn't know. I thought she asked you. <laughs> okay, Jeff Ray's going to pray for the sermon for us. <laughs> that's great. Wow. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the chance to come here today together. Um, and uh, pray that your spirit will be with those who are not with us today, both for Zach and his family traveling, as well thank as for... The men who are off at the camp retreat, Lord, let them see your spirit while you're there. Thank you, Jesus. God, we pray for your blessing on Kurt, that his words will be your words, that we'll be able to take your message into our heart and to learn, God, to learn the true power of what Christ is about. Amen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Nicely done on the spot twice today. <laughs> you're good on your feet. All right. So I want to welcome you to what is one of, I think, only I think this is, there's only three more after this one. Uh, Demystifying the book of Revelation. And man, it has been in just an unbelievable series. It has been so much better than I ever thought it was going to be going in on the front end. What God has done and the way he's done it has been just spectacular. So all praises be unto him. But what we're doing is, is we're really coming down the home stretch now. We're at chapter 19. There's only a few more chapters left, only a few more big concepts that we're going to be talking about, even though there's still a lot left. But, but the thing that we're going to hit today is Jesus is coming again. 
And, and we're going to do something in that, but I just want to show you where that fits in the sort of timeline. This is, that, this is too complicated. If you don't get all of this, you'll have to go back and listen to other sermons or do whatever. But, you know, this is that timeline. That you'll see the seals, the trumpets, the seven-year period, the, the bowls, the angels, all of this. Every single thing on that list is God in repeated, ever greater ways trying to reach people that don't know him giving them every reason to know him, giving them every reason to come to know him who is reaching out to them so strongly. And what's actually happening is there is becoming an ever-widening gulf between those who believe and those who do not. The ones who reject him have to reject him stronger and stronger and more violently and to the point that they are persecuting as Christians to, the, to lunatic degrees. Millions, if not tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of people being murdered simply because they're Christians. And, and it's, there's this gulf that's happening between those who know him and those who do not. But we're coming now, as I said, to chapter 19, and this is happening right here. Jesus returns. It's part of, we will see Armageddon in this too, and, and so on. But this is where we are today. And I'm going to do something with chapter 19 because I think it warrants it. You know, sometimes we'll fly over at a height on a piece of scripture that we'll do just a little bit of detail in, but really you need to hear that passage. You know what I mean? If you, if you break it down too much, it's like explaining a joke. You know what I mean? You lose the joke, right? And the point is, is I want us to hear the music. I want us to hear the praise. I want us to hear the hallelujahs that are in chapter 19, which is the hallelujahs that come after years and years and years now of incredible hardship on the earth, incredible persecutions of Christians to the point that they're crying out and saying, when, God, you know, when is this finally going to end? Because, you know, it, it seemed like it was pretty bad before, and then it got worse, and then it got worse, and then it got worse. When is it going to end? And his response is always, not until the last one has come, and I'm using your persecution to bring that last person. So there's a point to it all. But the bottom line is, is what he's going after is, is that he's saying, at this point in time, this is him coming again now. Now those who have been persecuted, those who are crying out, those who are wondering what's going on, it's all now becoming clear. It's, the end has come. Jesus is coming again to the earth, and I want us to hear like I say, the music, the hallelujahs in this. And I'm going to use the message to do that because, you know, he just has a, a nice way of really getting to some... To, he wants you to hear it the way the first century person would have heard it, without a sort of stiltedness to it. And so here it goes. I heard a sound like massed choirs. Think of that. Th that image, massed choirs in heaven singing hallelujah. The salvation and glory and power are God's. His judgment's true. His judgment's just. He judged the great whore, this is Babylon we've been looking at, who corrupted the earth with her lust. He avenged on her the blood of his servants, all the martyrs. Then more singing, hallelujah, hallelujah. The smoke from Babylon's burning billows up high to heaven forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living beings fall to their knees and worship God on the throne, praising, amen, yes, hallelujah. From the throne came a shout, a command even, praise our God, all you servants and all you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard the sound of massed choirs, the sound of mighty downpouring flood, the sound of strong thunder, hallelujah. 
The master reigns, our God, the sovereign strong. Do you see how words are starting to escape him? He's doing everything he can to just pick them out of the air in this movement that he's finding so that he can communicate what he's seeing, which is overwhelming him. Let us celebrate, let us rejoice, let us give him glory. The marriage of the lamb has come. His wife has made herself ready. She was given a bridal gown of bright and shining linen. We're going to look at that next week. This linen is the righteousness of the saints. It'll actually be two or three weeks from now. But anyway, the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. He added, these are the true words of God. Listen to that. Hear that. Let that sink into your spirit for today. It's going to become important. Listen to the true words of God. Okay, I fell at his feet to worship him. Now when he does this, do you see what's happening? John is hearing these people. I kind of misspoke it a second ago as if John was capturing these words. It's all of heaven. All the, the 24, all of heaven is crying out about this thing. And they're just, they're just everything they can. It's just, you know, how do you put into words what is much more than words ever could be? And what happens is John, seeing this, is himself overwhelmed and falls at the angel's feet. He's just looking to worship anything. If I could take a likening and, and, and metaphor to something that would be something that would be somewhat familiar to us, it would be this photo. This is the end of World War II, which, by the way, the guy didn't know the girl, and that really is a real shot. It wasn't a canned shot. There was some controversy, but no, it's a real shot, and what it is is World War II is over. Think about it. This country, all, you know, the men were gone. The men were overseas, the young men. The, the, the women were working in the factories. The world, it wasn't at all clear what was going to happen with the world. It wasn't, Hitler was doing great. And it was not at all clear what was going to happen to the world. And then the tide had turned and there was still incredible sacrifice. And everybody was sacrificing everything and everybody was wrapped up in it. And then all of a sudden there comes a day when, you know, you just, when you're in the middle of something so huge, you know how you just have to work it up. You know what I mean? You just have to get to the place to where you can handle this. But then one day it ends. And on the day that it ends, it's just such a relief. It's such a thank you. It's such a praise. The more of the having to stay in a place, the more the relief, the more the release. And so you get this kind of a release, only times a billion. He wouldn't let me. Don't do that, the angel said. I'm a servant just like you, like your brothers and sisters, a hold of the witness of Jesus. The witness of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You know what he's saying there? Jesus is everything. Jesus is all of it. You want to know what all this prophecy is about? It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, the first words in the book. <laughs> it's all about Jesus. It all points to him. He is the connection. There is God who is spirit, and there's creation which is material, and Christ is the bridge between the two. Okay? He's the one who is God come in the flesh, incarnation. He's the one of the Godhead that all of creation points to, is summed up in, is about. Okay? And so what he does is he goes on and he says, Then I saw heaven open wide. I love this, this little bit of translation right here. Then I saw heaven open wide. And oh, just, you know, oh, what he sees. And what he sees is the white horse and its rider, the rider, rider named Faithful and True, judges and makes war in pure righteousness. The word that he makes is exactly just. His eyes are a blaze of fire, meaning he cuts through all of the other nonsense and all the other stuff, and he cuts right to the heart of the matter. On his head, many crowns, because as it says in a moment, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is none greater. He is over all. 
He has a name inscribed that is known only to himself. This is the only sort of difficult part of this whole passage to not, you know, just anybody knowing Christ would read this and go, I get what that means, I get what that means, I get what that means. This one's a little opaque, not so much. Here's what it is. In that day and age, if you knew a God's name, if you come to find out what his real name was, this was on the mythology and so on, if you knew that name, then the thought was is that you would take that name and you would use that name and appropriate that God to do your will. See what I mean? You had control over the God, essentially, because you knew his most holy name. And so you could make that God do what you wanted. And here's what God's saying. Ain't nobody can make me do anything except what I'm going to (laughs) do. See it? I am God. And I am bigger and more than you will ever know in fullness. But... Nonetheless, I do reveal myself to people in my name. For he's dressed in a robe soaked with blood, which is the persecution of the saints, his own cross experience. And he is addressed as the word of God. Now think about it. John says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. And nothing was made in all of creation except through the word, Jesus. What's that mean? In the very beginning, God says, let there be, and whatever he says, there is something from nothing. Let there be light, and there is light. What he's saying is is he is the creator of everything. He is the creator of all the material world. How incredibly stupid that an army is arrayed as if they're going to fight the creator, who in an instant can simply say, no longer be, and it isn't. Which is exactly what he ends up saying to them because it goes on. The armies of heaven mounted on white horses are dressed in dazzling white linen and they follow him. A sharp sword comes out of his mouth. What is that? It's it's the poetic way of saying his word. The same word that said, let there be light and there was light. That same word goes to those that are arrayed against him and says, no. (laughs) And it is a sharp sword that cuts them down in a moment. It is not a battle that is engaged in sword play. You know, and some of, some of God's people die and some of the other people die or maybe all the other people die. It is not sword play between us or the angels and Jesus or anybody. It is his word in a moment that is a sword that levels. It's over. Which is again what it says when he says, oh, uh, here, uh, and he will subdue the nations then rule them with a rod of iron. We'll talk about that next week. He treads the winepress of the raging wrath of God, the sovereign strong. On his robe and his thigh is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the one who's over all that is opposed to him. Um, I saw an angel standing in the sun shouting to all the flying birds in mid-heaven, come to the great supper of God, feast on the flesh of kings and the captains and champions, horses and the rest. That doesn't sound very cool, right? You know what I mean? Feast on flesh, that's kind of brutal language. Yeah, unless you have been watching millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people being persecuted and people rejecting him in ever greater ways until the point just comes to where it is so clear. It is so clear the righteousness of the judgment that is coming upon them. There isn't anybody, including themselves, that doubts that. And so this is that language of, it is over. Eat your fill of them, free and slave, small and great. I saw the beast and assembled with him, the earth's kings and their armies, ready to make war against the one and the horse and his army. Yeah, right. Okay. The beast was taken. Notice it doesn't talk about the battle, because there is none. The beast was taken, 
And with him his puppet, I love that translation, his puppet, the false prophet, who used signs to dazzle and deceive those who had taken the mark of the beast and worship his image. They were thrown alive, those two, into the lake of fire. We'll talk about that in two weeks. The rest were killed by the sword of the one on the horse, the sword that comes from his mouth. See it? And all the birds held a feast on, his, on their flesh. And again, I've already talked about that's brutal, gruesome imagery, but it's been brutal and gruesome in the world, and this is the culmination of it. So rather than, rather than put the accent on the minor syllable, let's put it on the right syllable, which is right here. The accent belongs. Then I saw heaven open wide, and oh, a white horse and its rider. The rider, faithful and true, judges and makes war. Oh, oh. I want to say what should be going off in our hearts right now if we are at all entered into the scene, if we will allow ourselves in that way that God has given us an ability of entering into a story, and this is a real beforehand. And if we will enter into that moment, there is this celebratory, oh. So we're actually going to do that because it's not enough to just talk about it. We need to do it. So worship man, I've asked him to come up. The service is not over. Do not leave, okay? This would be like the shortest sermon I've ever preached in my life, okay? So it's not over. But what's going to happen is the worship team is coming up. And, and we're going to sing. And we're going to sing a song of victory. Now, I know that there's some people here who do not know the Lord. And you know what? I love you. God bless you. And would you just, I'm asking you to just have some grace and some mercy in a moment. That as people, you can understand why we would would rejoice if this story is true at all. We believe it to be true. And so what we want to do is is we're going to stand, all of us, and we're going to sing this song. And I want it to be a full-throated, full orb. This is the whole of the heavens are saying hallelujah. So I want us to stand up and sing with hallelujah in our hearts. Savior, he can move a mountain. My God is mighty to save. Of the risen King, my Jesus. 
chapter 19 now <laughs> right we've entered in to his presence here's the thing I want us to get we talked about Jesus as Savior and deliverer and when we talked about him that way we talked about being saved from the hell but now we've just celebrated him not just in that but we've celebrated him in he's the one who saves the world from the perversion from the degradation from the thing that it has been subjected to see it and so now where we are is, we're seeing him in these big things. But I want you to see something. The God who is the Savior and Deliverer of the world. The God who is the Savior and the Deliverer of your salvation, that huge thing. That is the same God who is causing all things. Oops. Can you hear that is causing all things to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. This is the God, the God who is the Savior of the whole world, the God who is the deliverer, the Savior of my soul from that. He's the God who causes some things to work together in a good way. Other things, not so much. That's what it says, right? If it says all things... What do you think it actually means? Everything. All the big things and all the little things. I think as Christians, we have this bifurcated schizophrenic relationship with God, and it goes something like this. I don't have any trouble trusting that God is the Savior of my soul. Now, I, I never doubt that for one second. I don't have any doubt that this stuff in Revelation is true that this comes to pass and that Jesus is 
the deliverer, the savior of the whole world. But when you get down to everything in my life, the experience of so many of us is, yeah, some things he's done, but there was those things that he didn't do. And you know, we're funny about that, right? Because Jesus can do, what is, what's the old saying Dobson came up with? I think it's 10, isn't it? I think it's up to 15 now. But anyway, if you say 10 good things and then one bad things, you're roughly at equality because of the way human nature is. See what I mean? You say one bad thing, it takes 10 good things to get it balanced out again. God can answer 10 times miraculously, nine times. He can answer miraculously. And that one time that he didn't causes us to go, you, get, you know what I mean? I, I could trust him in the big, but he didn't meet me here. Here's what that scripture says. And we know that God causes everything to work out the way that I think it should work out because I love God and I'm called according to his purpose. That's what it says, right? See? It says the God who is bigger than you will ever know, the God whose name ultimately you do not know because he will not be controlled by you, actually has a plan that's bigger. And you may one day find out about it. And you may not. And it doesn't change one iota that God was working all things together for your good. Because you love him, he loves you. And he is not letting one sparrow fall to the ground, but what he doesn't have it completely in his hands. See it? I mean, there is a depth here of understanding what the fullness of that means. I'll give you a little irony. There are, and that's not so much ironic. It's almost straightforward when you hear it, but it's a little counterintuitive. Think about it now. When you think about God, you think about people that love God. You think about people that have given everything to God, right? When you talk to those people, they don't have any doubt about the fact that God is involved in every detail in their life, every minute detail, every single aspect of their life. Now, but he didn't answer that prayer for you. The person that's seeking God with everything in their life, when you bring up the stuff that didn't happen, they don't have a big issue with that. God's bigger than me. I don't get why he didn't do that. I don't know what the answer to that is. Or I may have some sense of it, and I'm trying to participate. But you know what? I don't see people that are giving the whole of their life to Christ being thrown very much when something doesn't happen. You know who I see it throwing badly, even off the horse, so to speak? It's this other person that, you know, you know, I, how much do I know God? I know that he's the big God. I know he saved me. I know that there's this book that talks about him saving the end of the world, and I think I'm good with that too. And, you know, but when I, you know, parking spaces, I don't know if I'm supposed to pray to God for that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? I don't know if I'm supposed to bring everything before him. And I don't. I do, but I don't. But I, and, you know, when I pray, when I pray for things, it's because it's big, you know, because God has a lot of things to do. He's got a lot of other people to be concerned about. And why would I waste his time with something that I could take care of myself? And then we go to him with the big things. And he may actually do two or three big things for you. But it's only two or three compared to the ten that you need in order to offset the one that works out not, a, not like you thought. Do you hear it? Do you see it? And when that happens, it throws that person off. Of, I just want to tell you, go all in with God. The more you go all in with God, the bigger that you'll find him out to be. The bigger that you find him out to be, the more that you'll realize how much you're not all in with him, and the more that you'll put everything all into him. And then you'll realize that he's bigger still. And when you realize that he's bigger still, you go, oh my gosh, there's all this other stuff I was still holding on to, so I'm throwing that in now. 
Now that's a Christian walk. That's what it looks like. That's what it feels like. That's what it is. And what we have to come to a place of in order to do that is a place where we trust him enough to throw all in. Everything that we can know at this moment in time. We cannot throw all in unless we trust him. That means unless we know him. The real issue is we don't know him. I can't tell you the degree to which I believe that we stand, that we are in an authority that nobody walks in. Some get closer and we write books about them and give them to people before they go on the mission field. But it is not something that is reserved for a few. It is the normal Christian life. It just happens to not be the common one, unfortunately. But it is the one that God intended. Right? Jesus does an amazing thing. Every time he describes a miracle in the New Testament where he's not proving to the Pharisees or the religious leaders something different. Every once in a while he does it and it's about them and so he doesn't do this. But every time there's a miracle described in any detail, he always says something. Every single time. Look it up. Every time there's a miracle described in any detail, something like this. This is a woman bleeding for 10 years. What did she say to herself? If I could just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. It has taken 12 years. It has cost me everything I have. Jesus turned around and when he saw her, he said, daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. Why would he say that? Why wouldn't he say, be encouraged, you're well? Why would he take the time, the effort, the energy, the moment to say your faith? Why would he not just do it there, but why would he do it here? Two blind men who are following him. Have mercy on us, David. He turns around and says, do you believe that I can heal? Yes. He touched their eyes and said, let it be done according to your faith. The woman's daughter, okay? This is the woman who has the daughter that's ill and, and the disciples, you know, Jesus is waiting to hear what the disciples will say and they say, send her away. And so he says, you know what? It's not right for the dogs to get the bread. He's doing what they said. He's not doing what he wanted to do. He's waiting for them to do what they were doing and they did a bad thing. They said, send her away. And so the woman says, praise God, yeah, even the dogs get the bread, that, the crumbs, that's enough for me. And so he says, then Jesus says, oh woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. There's just one more and I could go to so many more, but the leper, Jesus said to the man, stand up, this is the one who came back, stand up and go your faith has healed you. Here's what a faith doctrine, a prosperity doctrine person will do with that. See, what this means is, what Jesus is trying to tell you is, if you have enough faith, then you can have anything you want from God. See, if you know the secret name of God, you can have anything you want from him as long as you push the right buttons, do the right formula, believe in your heart, doubt not, then you get anything you want from God. Now that is a heresy, flat and simple. But all, all, all lies, the best lies, have the most truth in them. And the truth is, there is something to your faith, or Jesus wouldn't have been saying it over and over and over again. He didn't have to emphasize this. He wanted to emphasize it. May I paraphrase what I think he was trying to say? You know me? Great. Then I can be everything I want for you. Even Jesus, it says, going to his hometown, could not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Now, that's not the faith doctrine formula. It's knowing him. Do you know him as the carpenter's son 
or do you know him as God? Do you know him as the God who is salvation, deliverance from hell, the one who saves the whole world, the one who is working everything together for good in your life? Is that who you know God to be? Can I just do this to get us all off the hook right now? The answer for every person in here is no. Because I promise you there is a circumstance that can be orchestrated that will challenge your faith to the point of unbelief. It'll go beyond what you actually know him to be. Because we are finite and he is infinite. And the walk of Christ, as we've already said, is coming to know the infinite God more and more and more and more. Now watch. So then what I should do is I should go out and put God to the test. That's what Satan does. It's faith first. Do you know who God is? He says to the man whose son has been thrown into the fire, and the man says, yes, I do. Help me in the ways that I don't. To put the actual term to it, I believe, help my unbelief. I know that you can do this. There's something in me that's saying that you can do this. But do I know this? No, I don't know this. Help me know this. Help me. Help me. Help me. Help me. Can I say something? I don't think there's a God that God has, there's a prayer that God has answered more ever in the history of mankind than help. Help me. I'm in a terrible place. I'm in a place of great need. I'm at the end. I don't know what to do. Help. Help. When you say help, you're believing. You're crying out to help to one that you think somewhere can. Get a hold of that. Not conjure it. Get a hold of that. Here's the very simple way I'm trying to say this. Come to know Jesus. The Jesus who saves. Remember, he's the connection between the fullness of God and all of creation. He's the connection between, and he is trying to usher people along that, that connection bridge into God's presence more and more and more and more. So just as we did earlier, where we did not leave it as a sermon heard and experienced, eh, but instead we sang and experienced the moment, we're going to do that here now. This is not, I'm taking a big risk here. I want you to understand something, and I'm going to ask you to take a big risk here. We're going to do something today, and what we're going to do is we're going to pray. But we're not going to pray in, in just any old way. Here's the way that we're going to pray. Every person in here has got something that's going on in your life somewhere that is in need, that has got a thing that is going on where you are in need of God. Now, I could leave it to where you would just sit right there, and you would just pray to God about that need, and that would be great. But you know, there's something to the altar call, even though we don't do them, and there's lots of reasons why we don't do them. And if you want to talk to me about it, I can talk to you about it some other time. But I just want to say, there is something to the altar call, which is really important, and that is a proclamation, not only to the heavens and the earth, but to our own heart. The difference between sitting in your seat and getting up and coming forward is enormous. The difference between sitting in your seat and coming up and going to somebody. So what we're going to do is, is we're going to spread some our prayer team around. And again, there's some guys missing because of the, the men's trip, but we're going to spread around the room. And, and I, in fact, prayers go up and do this right now. Would you just go and get, get established around the room? 
And here's what we're going to do. They're going to play some soft worship music. And I'm going to ask every person in here to go to God. And here's what I'm asking you to do in a very particular way. I'm asking you to go and say, what is the area where I'm not actually trusting you? What is the area where I need to trust you? What is the area where I need you in the fullness and the glory of who you actually are? What is that? What is that area? And then I want you to get up when you get that, and I want you to walk to one of these people. And here's the thing. They're not going to pray for you. You're going to pray. They're just going to pray in agreement with you. They may say something at the end, a word from the Lord, whatever, but we'll just see how that goes. But the point is, I want you to go to them, and I want you to come, and I just want you to say, this is the thing, and I want you to pray for it. And then I want you to let them lay hands on you, and just, you guys are praying it in agreement. I want you to pray in faith. I want you to pray knowing Jesus. Do you believe that Jesus loves you? Do you believe that he's out for your good? Do you believe that God works all things together for good? For those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Do you believe that? And I'm going to be asking you to do this. Now, some people really won't have anything, and I'm asking you, quietly worship and pray for other people that God would answer their prayers. I want to say something now to really set this up properly. For about two months now, you know the steering team thing we've been doing? And we went from AAA plus worship with Troy, and then we went to steering team, and you know, we had rough beginning, and then there was a year of sort of just getting to where we were doing worship. But over the last two months, you know, I've been stepping up here, and several times I've already said something, I've said, I feel something palpably different about what's happening in worship right now. And it's unlike anything I've ever felt before, and here's what I mean by it. It's gonna be a little abstract, but just follow me for a quick second. There is music that played well has nothing to do with God but can move you deeply. Play your best favorite song on the radio. It'll move you, right? That's not an anointing. That's just music. Music has this incredible power to move us. And then there is anointing on worship. And a lot of people don't know the difference between good music and anointing on worship. There's a huge difference. And once you know what the anointing is, you know what professionalism is, you know what good music is. There's a huge difference. But the thing I've been feeling for the last couple of weeks is different than either one of those. I've been feeling like God is so happy with what we're doing here by having people stepping up and growing the number of people that are being discipled by God in real ways. I believe that he's so pleased that I've had this image in my mind the last, last two months now. of it's, not like he's, it's like he's in a chair over there, but it's not like it's on the ground or on the stage. It's just there. And I've been feeling like it's like God is just there and he's sitting on his throne and he's just digging what's happening. He's just loving it. To the point that I feel like he's saying, whatever you want to do right now, I'll do it. I'm just here. Healing, I've been feeling strongly. Healing, I'd love to. It's not proof, it's trust. The Jesus that died for you, that loves you, that doesn't want to just be your savior on the cross, that wants to be your savior and deliver right now in your life. Deliverer. This is the God that I think is here now. I have an assurance from him that he is. And so what we're going to do, like I say, is we're going to take this moment, and it'll take, last about 10 minutes. Please don't leave, okay? But we're going to go, and we're going to pray, and they're going to be, you know, and we're going to move, and we're just going to do what God is going to do in here, and we're going to pray, and I'm just asking you, please. And now, by the way, if you don't know the Lord and you're here, what a better time to go and get prayer. 
I'm telling you, if you don't believe in God, this is a, this is a phenomenal time. If there's something in your life to go up and ask somebody to pray for you. And by the way, if you really don't want to pray because you can't pray with other people, that's fine. Ask them to pray for you. Okay, but please, I'd much rather have us be who we need to be, stepping up, saying it. Lord, this, this is what I trust you for. This is what I need saving in. This is where I need delivery. Thank you, God, for being my savior and my deliverer. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, touch every person who is here, move in their lives. Let this become your moment. Let this become your fullness. Even now, in Jesus' holy and precious name, your Holy Spirit, fall. Holy Spirit, come, touch, move through, move in, move to. In Jesus' holy and precious name, Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you that you will meet us. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, we now give you this time. In Jesus' holy and precious name, because we don't want to just be hearers. We want to be doers. We want to be ones who are moving in.